everybody, it's Play to Innovate, the innovation show that goes beyond the hype. Now here's your host, my dad, Brett Schwab. Welcome to another episode of Play to Innovate. Today I want to talk to you about three innovations that will soon affect you, but you probably never heard about them. I thought it would be helpful to talk through some recent innovations to illustrate how different ways of thinking unlock possibilities. I also want to talk about how, many times, we believe that only those big commercial innovations are all that really matters, or sometimes all that really exists. But it's usually the innovation that's in the lab, or less commercially developed, that will have more far-reaching effects. And I look at those kind of things as like the root of a plant. So just like the root of a plant, we don't see it, often forget about it, but the rest wouldn't exist without it. Considering societal standards, it may sound surprising or ironic that the work behind the scenes is often more far-reaching than the products that evolve from it. After all, the more exciting or commercially visible things are, the more we hear and talk about them. But it's the thing in the lab, the thing that somebody's working on in their, in their cube over time that we often don't hear about but lead to those commercial developments. So let's talk about three innovations that are still in the lab, why they're significant, and the thinking behind them. Now, a couple of these developments, they did actually talk about the thinking behind it, and one of them I'm kind of extrapolating from what they did explain. The first one is actually from a group at MIT of research students that have been looking for a way to prevent ice buildup on surfaces. Now, that might not sound very exciting, but for most of us, this work will probably result in better waterproof fabrics and no ice buildup on your mailbox or something like that in the wintertime. But for others, it may mean less risk of ice building up on critical structures like airplane wings. And in fact, the example that they talk about most is icing on airplane wings. Now, the initial direction for their research came from first having to understand what the cause of ice formation was, which incidentally is actually due to not only how long the water contacts the surface, but how far it can spread. Now, understanding that, they were able to define the end result they wanted, which, as they say, was reducing the water's contact time and spread. So, simple enough. That definition gave them focus on finding a surface shape that accomplished that goal. Now, it, it wasn't instantaneous by any means, and this work does actually build on previous work by some of the same team members. So, things don't happen overnight. Often, finding the direction to head is easier than finding the solution, even though, you know, finding a direction can also feel very challenging in the first place, and I'm sure going through all of the experimentation to figure out what causes water to freeze on a surface was uh, very time-consuming and a lot of hard work in itself. But finding that direction takes understanding both the situation you're in and the end result you want to achieve. So, and I know I harp on this a lot, but it really is key. So I'll say it again. Finding that direction takes understanding the situation you're in and the end result you want to achieve. Or more often, the end result that the people you're serving want to achieve. So people you're serving being your clients, your customers, people like that. 
Now, the MIT researchers' solution came from experimenting with different sizes and depths of rings printed on a surface, and then also figuring out what techniques they could use to produce them. Now, here's where I want to pause for a second, because this is an opportunity to start thinking past the obvious. After all, deciding what techniques to try, for example, can be just as simple as, hey, what equipment do we have available to us? Or what techniques are usually prescribed in this situation? And if you are in a field long enough, I think it's easy to fall back on the confidence that what you know is correct. And then so you might stop exploring further. Or you can go deeper with a little bit of thought. Now, this is where my play to innovate techniques help. I'll actually talk about those in a minute. But, for example, you can start thinking in terms of analogies. So, what is even remotely similar to the outcome I want? And the wilder the analogy, the more options you can find. For example, there's the hammered paint finish, which, if you've never seen that, it's where it, it's a paint finish that looks like somebody just started pounding away at a piece of metal and just leaving all these little divots very close together all over the sheet of metal which is actually very similar to what I think they're talking about here with producing these rings. So maybe there's a way to produce a finish that can lead to a production method using maybe some kind of paint or something or a, a paint technique. Now, spending time thinking through these alternatives might feel like, or it might actually end up being reinventing the wheel, only to land back where you started. But I'll also talk about that a little bit later, too. Before we get into that stuff, though, let's talk about this new human-machine interface breakthrough. So they call it cybernetics. Now, beyond the obvious uses of making superhuman cyborgs, this breakthrough actually allows for the development of less damaging probes or connections between that person's delicate tissues, like brain tissue and things like that, and then the device that's actually helping them, the prosthetic. I didn't know that this was an issue, really, um, at the time, but it turns out that a lot of these interfaces that we use now, or that they use now, especially directly in the brain, can damage the cells they're attached to, so leading to failure over time. And the future potential of this, according to the researchers, is actually for less invasive ways to read the electrical signals in our brain. So, for example, you might have a brain interface for uh, artificial eyes or something like that. Um, kind of grasping here, but uh, that's kind of the direction they're headed. Now, they also said that this will help with brain mapping, such as for before brain surgery, where they want to figure out what part of your brain controls what. Uh, not everybody's brain has the same uh, thing in the same area. They're just generally, I guess, from what I understand, in the same area, but not completely. So they want to map your brain to understand what they're doing before they start doing things. But they also, as I said before, there's also the possibility for better prosthetics. Um, of course, unless we learn to regrow appendages before then, which is actually another tract of experimentation and research that's being conducted right now. This work was only possible because of the collaboration between universities. Without the different views, expertise, and experiences of the teammates, who knows if they would have actually gotten as far as they did. But think about this. 
no single team had gotten that far before. The lesson I see is that the romantic notion of the lone inventor in her garage or the self-made millionaire is actually a harmful fallacy. It leads people to believe that they can do it all on their own, and when they do fail, and most often they will fail, it's because they, they believe that they don't measure up. But if you look at anyone who achieved something significant throughout history, there are always the people that help them in one way or another, whether it was a parent or mentor opening doors for them, such as Bill Gates, or public projects making opportunities possible, such as the internet making a lot of this work possible, even including this podcast, or employees doing the work, such as with Thomas Edison or Nikola Tesla had employees that actually did the bulk of the work. Someone else had a hand in the success. And you'll also see that throughout history, there were a lot of women who were doing a lot of work, doing a lot of breakthrough work, and then being pushed aside by the men that they were working with because, well, it was socially acceptable to do that back then, I guess. So getting off my soapbox before I get on, let's talk about the last innovation that will potentially soon be affecting your life. And this one is creating new particles with matter and light. Okay, now you're going to have to stay with me on this one because I don't really fully understand it myself. But these researchers have changed the way a given atom behaves by shaking it with a laser. What's that good for, you ask? Well, first, they were able to interact those shaking atoms, or the shaken atoms, with light particles to create a unique copy atom, as they called it. In other words, their shaken atoms mimicked, the, mimicked other kinds of atoms while they were in the shaken state. It would be like if you could temporarily make your beige Honda minivan look and act like a Corvette just by shaking it. That's the dramatic difference. Now, this can lead to unbreakable encryption, and that's one of the examples that they gave. Since you can now set an atomic level key or an atom level key that no one else knows. After all, they no one would know what kind of atom you're mimicking, so they couldn't just duplicate your key. The researchers also talked about other potential uses, but honestly, the only word I understood was fluids. So you'll have to read the research on your own. I'll leave links to these research um, articles in the description. One of the challenges that they had to overcome, though, was that, you know, and I'm sure everybody out there knows this, that light particles don't interact with each other. This is the whole lightsaber th issue, where uh, how did they make lightsabers work if they're just lasers? They would just actually just pass right through each other. They overcame this, though, with this so-called go-between shaken atom. Now, here's where staying curious through your whole life actually helps a lot. As the primary researcher, Logan Clark, said, he had already developed the shaken atom technique. But quoting him, he said, We had always viewed the copies as a side effect rather than the goal, but this time we had the specific intent of making the copies. Without the previous work to build on and draw from, they wouldn't have gotten where they are now. In fact, one of the greatest gifts a professor ever gave me and, well, my class, was the lesson of never throwing things away until you extract all you can learn from it. Now, sometimes in my life that meant keeping just a mental record for a bit, and sometimes that meant 
holding onto a single scrap of paper for many years. Now, as I said before, these three examples really just show that without the work going on in the lab, without somebody doing this research, things that you would never really hear about in the so-called mainstream media or kind of the, the bigger presses, we wouldn't really have a lot of the innovations that we have now. So without all of the components that go into our smartphones, and I always have mine with me, so I always use it as an example, but without all the research going into the components in that phone, we wouldn't have the phone. Without all the research going into displays that happens in the lab, we wouldn't have better and better displays. And so it's really more a celebration of the stuff going on in the lab, the things that are, like I said, more the root of the products that we end up with that I'm talking about here. And these examples also illustrate that different ways of thinking, putting a little bit of energy behind going beyond the status quo, going beyond what we already understand or know or the easy answers will help us get much farther will help us in fact sometimes it's the only way to get where you're trying to go and while we all have our methods of thinking through challenges there are five techniques that i use and teach and they are especially helpful when i get stuck or i want to move past the average or the ordinary now the first one is what i call turn it over and over and it's just like it sounds you take an object and you rotate it in your mind or if it's on a tabletop, you imagine what it would be like if you stuck it to a wall or a ceiling. And what, what are the benefits of doing that? How does that help you get past what you're doing? And sometimes, what would it just be like? It'd, it'd just be different, so maybe that's enough. But Turn It Over and Over also talks about working with processes and flipping them. So working backwards to understand the steps in a process. Or working from the middle out and understanding... Uh, where you know where each direction will take you and so maybe it will help you open up what's going on in that process now the second technique is analogy and this is actually one of my kind of go-to techniques which is what is even very remotely like what I'm trying to accomplish what other thing in the world has the same end result that I'm trying to achieve and so one of my go-to examples is that Elephant ears are like fans because they do the same thing. Or the mud that elephants sling on themselves or that pigs like to roll around in is like a fan because it does the same thing. It, does, it has a cooling effect. So take a look at what is in the world around you or things that are in, you know, online that you can research that do very remotely even uh, what you're trying to do. And then how can you use the concepts in that other thing to achieve your goal as well? The next technique I use is also com the complexity or what I call the Rube Goldberg device technique, which is taking anything that I'm doing and make it just super complex. Not only does it just make it silly and fun to think about, but it also helps me to see alternative ways of doing different steps or where I can eliminate steps because it opens up the whole process flow of whatever that is. So a product, a, a process flow itself, and helps me see the steps that are going on in there so I can examine them individually. 
At the same time, I also use the simplify technique. And for me, this is another go-to technique where I look for ways to combine steps or combine functions or actually better yet, delete things. So what can I get rid of or move off to a more appropriate place to simplify the, that whole product or experience or process? And then I also use exaggeration. Now, this one is really more kind of that caricature thing where so you go to a carnival and somebody's drawing you know those big head caricatures this is where you take one feature and you just exaggerate it you make it as goofy as silly as possible and try and understand how you can find alternatives to it or really examine it to see what really needs to happen in that one feature or function i find that this is generally useful for looking at uh, improving a product and so you're going one by you know one feature by feature now while working through these techniques these thought techniques it's really important to just stay silly have fun with it be as goofy as you can possibly be and if you are a very serious person and don't see the point to any of this that whole thought process that mindset is actually the thing that's holding you back so Get comfortable with being silly. Know that nobody's going to make fun of you when you're just having fun and being playful. If everybody in the room can get that to that point and have these goofy conversations using these thought techniques, it makes it fun to find ideas. And when you're working on your own, those same techniques make thinking more interesting and fun as well. And one thing that I had to learn too, and I'm a very purpose-driven person, is that sometimes doing something without really understanding the purpose of it leads you to greater understanding in the end. Just try it. You'll see what I'm talking about. Now, not every project calls for extraordinary or even innovative solutions, but there are some great benefits to using new thought techniques on every project and just, just for practice. Now, the main benefit is that when we hit a wall or we need to put in the extra creativity on another project, we'll be prepared. We'll have practiced. And that's why I find it helpful to practice the mindset and techniques in my Play to Innovate program on every project. And you also never know when that simple project can be made better just by thinking a little bit differently about it, exploring a tiny bit about it. Of course, you want to be careful to avoid scope creep here. So uh, that's where understanding that not every fantastic idea is so great. Uh, and then sometimes those things are important, but maybe not in the way that you first jump off and want to implement it. One thing I hope you remember through all of this is that thinking takes work and energy. I think something like, I think it was 20% of the energy that our bodies produce goes to just running our brain. So it's really no wonder that people don't think that much of our thoughts and actions are through the unthinking habits that we've developed over the years because it's easier to just do something unthinking or through a habit than actually having to put thought into it. But with a little bit of effort, we can make new habits and we can make them anything we want them to be. The first habit I suggest changing is the attitude and mindset you have when approaching a project. 
moving to more of a kind of a, I got this, or I'm going to move past where I was mindset. I've talked with a few people who tell me that they used my play to innovate technique and actually came up with the same solution they normally would have, even having used different thought techniques. And what I found in talking with them is that they actually didn't allow themselves to go deep enough. They held themselves back with that mindset that I talked about earlier of, well, there's no point to it, so why should I? Or, oh, this is just a little too, too silly. Let's, let's not go there. Let's not get that silly. Meaning some of this is practice and some of it's just getting to a place where you're not holding back. Then there are the people who held themselves back with the thought of, well, we don't have that many good options or let's just get this over with. And ironically, using new thought techniques, changing your mindset is the thing that helps you with the issue of we don't have many good options in the first place. Otherwise, why would you care? Why would you do it? If you don't have many good options and you're not going to put the thought in, then just go with the thing that's going to work and it's easy. But giving up before you begin is the best way to kill your potential. And that's why when entering a brainstorming or ideation session, your attitude needs to be, let's do something exciting. Or better yet, in my opinion, we're going to get to someplace new today. I love new. I love change. So uh, you, I will talk about new and change all day with you. Okay, that all said, about a quarter of the time, I do personally circle through some ideas only to land back where I started. But that's okay too, because I get a deeper appreciation for why something was done the way it was done. So I learn a lot. And then it helps me to, in the future, put a little bit more thought into it and see if maybe a little bit more time and a little bit more thinking would get me someplace different. So a successful project starts with the right attitude and continues with the right techniques and direction. In the middle, you're of course going to need to set some goals, stay on track, and then continue that cycle of problem solving you started with. As these examples show, the more complex a project, the more work, collaboration, and experimentation there's going to be. Now, of course, you knew that, but what helps is actually having the catalog of concepts and directions to follow in the first place. And that comes from being open to exploring things you might find either unrealistic or even absurd. And I use the word absurd because I recently actually talked to somebody who told me that she thought what we were doing was absurd and useless and why can't we just come up with a solution, which is... Uh, I think the mindset that a lot of people have when they don't understand where great ideas come from. And breaking past that can come from an adventurous enough spirit or, again, the right techniques and allowing yourself to just break out of your old thought processes and just have fun and be silly. Now, being someone who had to develop a more adventurous spirit myself... I always advocate for techniques that allow me to be silly. And that helps me to realize that I can kind of sneak my way through the failure without feeling like I'm failing. But just remember, all those great ideas, award-winning designs, and best-selling books don't just happen. The ideas, more often than not, don't just pop into someone's head. And actually, if they do, they're not fully baked and ready to go. It's often more like these examples that started in a lab and may have been in a lab for many years, 
that only recently led to the commercial ideas. Well, I hope that what I talked about today helped you. I hope that these examples inspired you to start exploring and to start looking at work that is being done, innovations that are being done outside of just the popular press. I'll leave a few links to some of the sites that I normally explore, such as interestingengineering.com and other places like that, that do talk about these, these issues. And in an upcoming episode, I'm going to also talk about how you can see the future. And that means how can you see where these innovations are eventually going to lead to something that's going to kill your industry, put you out of work, or otherwise disrupt what you are doing. I think it's possible in many cases. I think there are quite a few where, you know, everybody was kind of blindsided. But studying all of this over the years, I've actually been able to look back and see where it was coming from. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, eh, why not next time? All right, I'll talk about it next time. All right, talk to you later. Bye. While I have you here, if you are ready to go to that next step and learn more, check out my book, Play to Innovate. You will find it on Amazon.com. Just search for Play to Innovate and you will find the book. If you would like to set up a workshop for your group or your company, let me know at brett at fivepebblesllc.com. That's B-R-E-T at fivepebblesllc.com. Those two to three hour dynamic workshops are hands-on training that will take you step-by-step through one of your projects. We will better define that project as end results and benefits. You'll also look at the things that might be holding you or your company back so that you can better change them. We will then go through a dynamic, fun, play-to-innovate session to find solutions for your project. And then the follow-up will be a time for Q&A and to better define those solutions we found in the play-to-innovate game session. Everybody will leave feeling fully equipped to use the techniques and mindset, not only to complete the project that we started in the workshop, but also on their future work. So again, if you are ready to set up a workshop, contact me at bret at fivepebblesllc.com. That's the number five, pebblesllc.com. Talk to you later. Bye.